Every church is filled with willing people. Those willing to work and those willing to let them. I mean, we laugh. But I think we need to ask the question, why are there some people who are part of what we call the visible church who are content to simply attend church services but never sacrificially serve? Some may even persistently participate. They may be here all the time. But they're unwilling to take the next step and commit themselves to serving the Lord by serving the church. Why? Why? As I thought about what I wanted to deal with this morning in, in our covenant, my covenant commitment 2024, as we begin talking about sacrificial service, I didn't want to simply come and tell you that you're supposed to sacrificially serve. Here, let me do that. You're supposed to sacrificially serve. Okay, we got that part out of the way? You're supposed to do that. You're supposed to serve the church. You're supposed to serve your brothers and sisters. Like that, that is a, a thing that God tells us to do. I wanted to ask the question, why do some of us not do it? I believe at part of the answer is that we do not fully understand the right motivation for our service in the church and to the church. So what I want to do is I want to address this morning part of the motivation for why we as believers are supposed to, why we want to. Serve the church. Now, I have to give credit here. The first time I heard this text preached this way, it was when John Piper was working through the book of Romans years ago, and he had been in his church for years and years, and he was working through the book of Romans, and he was uh, addressing his, his church, um, talking about this very thing. The motivation for sacrificially serving in love. So let's read Romans 7. We're going to look at the first six verses. And we're going to discuss those six verses, and then we're going to kind of go into a conversation, a larger conversation of motivation. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. If, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, 
Very important word. My brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. To him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in a new way of the spirit and not the old way of the written code. I want to answer this question first. Why does freedom produce loving service and not lawlessness? You see, people are so afraid of grace. They're afraid of it. Because they think if you preach grace and you tell people they're not under the law, then what might happen is they might just become lawless Christians who run about doing all kinds of things and not caring about being obedient. So I want to answer this question first. Why freedom produces loving service and not lawlessness? So let's look at the immediate context here. These six verses are Paul's answer to the question while, why our being under grace and not law produces love. He's answering his own question from Romans 6.15. Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. There are people who will say, if you tell people they're free from, from the law, they're free from the written letter of the law, then they're going to go out and sin. It gives them freedom to sin. And Paul says, may that never be so. It's not what grace does, but why not? I mean, that's a, that's a statement. Grace does not cause us to Go sin and not care. Okay, but why not? Why does freedom from the, from the law not result in lawlessness but sacrificial service of love? Well, he sets it up with a comparison. Here's the comparison. Verses 1 through 3, he says, If somebody is married, they are bound to the law. They cannot leave their spouse and go be with another. They can't do that. They would be in violation of the law if they did that. Can't do that. But if the spouse dies, then the remaining partner is free to then go and marry another. You wouldn't be breaking the law. They wouldn't be an adulterer or an adulteress. If the person dies, they are then free to join themselves to another. Then what he does is he picks up that comparison in verses four through six, where he says, therefore, my brethren, likewise, you are also made to die to the law. He says, you are dead to the law or the law is dead to you. 
so that you can be joined to another. In other words, by faith, we have been united with Christ, as, verse, as chapter 6, 5 says, so that his death becomes our death. When, when Christ died, God's people were made dead to the law. His death was our death to the law. And therefore, Paul says, we have all died to the law. Christ bore our punishment that the law required. He fulfilled the perfect obedience that the law required and the law demanded. So we are dead to the law. So I, as a Christian, am released to the law. Side note, the law was never given to me. The Mosaic law was never given to me. Anyway, I'm a Gentile. But there were so many Gentiles who were, people were trying to place them back under the law. You've got to be circumcised to be a Christian as well. And you have to follow these festivals. And you have to do these days. And, and these are the ways that you, you serve God. And, and Paul is saying, listen, if you have put your faith in Christ, then you are dead to the law. Now, I'm not talking about creation law. I'm not talking about the law that existed that has existed for all of eternity. I'm talking about the Mosaic law. Verse six says the same thing. But now you have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound. But then verse four goes on to say this. The purpose of arranging this death for us in Christ. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ that you may be joined to another. So, so catch the comparison here. If I'm married and my spouse dies, I'm free now to go join myself to another. As long as I'm bound to this law, I'm not free. But if I'm, if I'm dead to the law, I can go and, and be with another. So we are released from the, the law like the woman in the marriage so that she can go marry again without breaking the law. And the marriage that he has in mind for us is union with the risen, living Jesus Christ. So that you may be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead. So your salvation is a liberation from the law and unification with Christ. A person. Verse 4 goes on a step further and explains. Not only have we died to the law, but also we have been joined to the living Christ. In order that we might bear fruit for God. This fruit is love. So now we have Paul's answer to why being freed from the law does not produce lawlessness but love. It is because our union with Jesus, we are cut from the law, not so we can float around untethered, not so we can just kind of f fly around in the ether, not being connected to anything. No, we are separated from the law so that we can be joined to Jesus. And you can't have both. You can't be joined to the law and have Jesus. The analogy would fall apart. 
I'm not free to, to marry another if my spouse is alive. But if, if my spouse dies, now I'm free to go and join myself to another. And that is the point that he is making here. This new union in Jesus, we are cut free from the law, not so that we can float in the air without any guidance or help, but that we can be joined to Jesus. For me to live is Christ, not for me to live is to obey the law. For me to live is Christ. Not to live is law keeping, to live is Christ. Verse six says the same thing, but this time verse six adds something else. Verse six is gonna say the same thing that verse four says, but there's gonna be this addition that happens at the end that I want to, to use as a springboard to talk about the new covenant for a minute. Verse six, but now we have been released from the law. We've seen that. Having died to that which we were bound. We've seen that. So that we serve same thing as bearing fruit. But now come these, these words that are filled with new covenant meaning. Here's what he says. So that we serve in the newness of the spirit and not the oldness of the letter. Notice the contrast between spirit and letter. This is one of the differences between the old covenant and the new covenant. Now, what does this mean? What does it mean to say that the Christian life, your life, is in the newness of the spirit and not the oldness of the letter? What does that mean for you? Well, I want to visit a few places here to get the meaning of the new covenant. And this is where we'll find out what Paul's talking about. So let's talk about the new covenant. First, let me show you why I think Paul is, in fact, talking about this thing called the new covenant. Because the word new covenant's not found in verse 6, right? The word new covenant's not there. So I think it's right for me to ask the question, okay, well then, why, I think it's right for you to ask the question, well, why then is this about the new covenant? He doesn't say new covenant. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 5 and 6. Listen to what Paul says. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. 2 Corinthians 3 five and six. Did you hear all the similar language? He made us adequate as servants to what? The new covenant, not of the letter of the law, but by the spirit for the letter kills and the spirit gives life. So here we have a very close parallel passage to Romans seven, six, where it says serve in the newness of the spirit, not the oldness of the letter. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says to the apostles, servants of a new covenant. Paul is making it explicit in 2 Corinthians that he's referring to the new covenant. So I believe Romans 7, 6 is also speaking of the new covenant. This is the way Paul 
talks about serving in the new covenant by the spirit, not the letter. That's the way that Paul talks about it. So when he speaks about serving in the spirit, he is talking about the way the new covenant worked. The new covenant in Jesus Christ works by the spirit, not the letter of the law. So what is it? What is this new covenant? Let's go back to the promise of the Old Testament. You can turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 31. What is this new covenant whereby we serve in the spirit? Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Jeremiah is holding out this promise, this coming thing. Here's what he says. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. Okay, not like, the, not like the Ten Commandments, the heart of the Mosaic Law. My covenant, which they broke, although I was a husband to them. Did you hear that? Does that not sound like Romans 7 to you? What did they do? They were bound in the law to God. That law was binding, and they broke it, and they joined themselves to false gods. They broke that covenant. Verse 33, but this is the covenant which I make with the house of Israel, and not only with them, but to all the children of Israel by faith, by the way. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor, and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, and I will remember it no more. This is probably one of the most classic texts in the Old Testament of the New Covenant. The book of Hebrews quotes it over and over and over again as the writer of Hebrews is dealing with the New Covenant. So let me list a couple things we learn here about the New Covenant. Number one, we learned that in the new covenant, the law will no longer mainly be external, written on stone. That's what letter means. But it will be internal, written on the heart. In other words, the decisive thing about the law is written on stone. No one had a heart that was willing to obey God. Well, now we're going to be given a heart that's willing to obey God. Number two, as, 30, as verse 34 puts it, knowing God will, be an, will not be an external command as much as an internal experience. I don't have to go around to Christians saying, no God, no God, no God, no God. You need to know God, you need to know God. Okay, Christian, know God. The Holy Spirit of God is going to have an internal impact so that your relationship with God is an internal experience. Number three, the foundation of this internal experience is grace. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. So in the new covenant, God provides a way to wipe all of our sin away, gives us an experience of personally knowing him, and then gives us hearts whereby we want to obey. 
Now, you may ask, well, wait a minute. You haven't talked about the newness of the Spirit yet. So let's talk about the newness of the Spirit. We need to go to Ezekiel, because Ezekiel now, in his conversation about the new covenant, begins speaking about the Spirit's work mightily in his passage. First, let's go to Ezekiel 11, 19 and 20. Prophet Ezekiel says this, and I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them. I will take out the heart of stone out of their flesh and I will give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. Then they will be my people and I will be their God. Flip to Ezekiel 36. Verse 26 and 27. Moreover, I will give you a new heart. Put a new spirit within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So these promises of what Jeremiah calls the new covenant are different from the covenant made with Israel when he brought them out of Egypt. It's different from the law. It's different from the Mosaic covenant. It's different than the one that was written on stone, the one that is in the oldness of the letter. What we now have is this move of God in the new covenant through the spirit whereby we are given new hearts, we are given a new spirit, we are given new desires, and the Spirit of God causes us to want to obey and follow Him. So we, we, the, the separation of the law, being dead to the law, is so vitally important because you, you can't have the Spirit of God working in you. You can't be united to Christ if you're hanging on to this law over here and not dead to it. you got to be dead to this so that the Spirit of God... So you'll have the spirit of God and you'll be united, united to Christ. And a lot of Christians do this. They're hanging on to both. And in fact, a lot of Christians do this. And then when it's time to get motivated to obey, they do this. See what the rule is. Hang on. Let's see. Let's. All of this new covenant got inaugurated in the work of Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus says in Luke twenty-two twenty at the Last Supper, and in the same way he took the cup that he had eaten it, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. What this means is that the death of Jesus is the foundation of the blessing of the new covenant. That's why he says, in my blood. He means everything the new covenant promises is in me. You want that new heart? You want that new spirit? You want those new loves? You want those new desires? You will not find them anywhere else except me. And so many people 
try to get their life straightened up. Try to clean up their life, try to fix their life, try to organize their life to make them a better person. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You can't cling to the law and have Jesus. We're dead to the law and we're joined with Jesus. And that changes everything. So now we can come back to Romans 7, 6. Now we have been released from the law, having died to that which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Now we see that being dead to the law, the letter, and serving in newness of spirit means serving as beneficiaries of a new covenant. God planned the inadequacies of the old covenant with a view of a greater, more superior covenant that was coming, a covenant in Christ, a covenant with greater glory. The old covenant was designed to lead us to Christ and to his spirit and to faith. If we want to serve Jesus as we should, if we want to enjoy him and sacrifice for him as we should, then we need this great work of God in the new covenant to be beneath our salvation, to be the, the bedrock in which we do everything else. As we try to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, we've got to understand the bedrock of all that is that we are beneficiaries of a new covenant. Covenant that is filled with depth of majesty and glory. So let's talk about serving in the Spirit. Let's end this way. When we start talking about sacrificial service, we need to understand as new covenant Christians... It is something that comes from the Spirit of God inside of us and generated by Him. I do not have, Brother James does not have, the ability to motivate you by the Spirit to do what's right. I, I don't have the ability to get inside of you and to motivate you and to generate this desire for you to sacrificially serve. We do not have that ability. In fact, we're not even called to try to give you that ability. We're to equip you once you have that ability. Once the, once the Spirit of God generates this desire to want to serve the church, then the pastor's job is to equip the church to do that ministry, but not motivate you for that ministry. That's what God does in the new covenant. And it's not something that is required from the outside like a law that is written or that you're duty-bound to follow. No, you desire to serve the Lord by serving the church because the Holy Spirit causes this to happen. Did you listen to those Old Testament passages? And I will cause you to walk in my statutes. You know why you obey God? God. 
while ago I said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know what the rest of that verse says? Knowing that it is God who works both in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. Have you ever read that verse and wonder why it says with fear and trembling? You ever wonder why it says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? Because there's another part of the verse. Anytime that you do anything, that you will anything for God, that you do anything for God, you better never try to take credit for it. You better do it with fear and trembling, knowing it's God doing it in you. You don't get to take the glory for it. So do it with fear and trembling, not trying to act like it's your own thing that you get to boast about. You do it, and then you turn and say, it's God who willed and did that in me. As a beneficiary of the new covenant, this is God who's doing that. So there, there is a, um, a man who was, he was, he was real famous for a while in, in different church circles. Um, I believe he's a heretic at this point. Um, his name's Rob Bell. And uh, Rob Bell used to put these NUMA uh, videos, I think they were called NUMA videos together. And uh, they were so well produced and, and um, so well done. And they just, you know, he was, he's, a, he's a wonderful speaker. He can articulate and explain things really well. And he had this one that confused me really, really bad. Because he talked about the reason why Jesus left was he was going to put his faith in the disciples to make sure the Great Commission got fulfilled. And then he said, what an honor that God was going to put his faith in those men. And I said, that's bull. God wasn't looking at those men going, these, these guys can do it. I mean, my goodness, Peter had just denied Jesus three times. They all ran for the hills except for John. Jesus wasn't looking at them going, these guys. These are the guys that can do it. He knew. Let me say it this way. When Jesus told them to go to Jerusalem, what did he tell them to do? Wait. Why? Don't you go to Jerusalem and start preaching the gospel. Don't go to Jerusalem and start doing church ministry. Don't go to Jerusalem and do anything. You go and you wait. For what? For the Holy Spirit to fall upon you. Then you will receive power to be my witnesses. J Jesus wasn't putting his trust in the disciples. He was going to accomplish his will and his power was going to work through the disciples to get it accomplished. God knew that God was going to do it. He wasn't to put his faith in them. He, the reason why the disciples couldn't go to Jerusalem and start church ministry is because they'd mess it all up. They would, they would go to Jerusalem and they would start preaching and they wouldn't preach the right thing and they wouldn't preach it in the right way and Peter would get up and he'd preach and everybody would look at him and be confused and there, there'd be no speaking in, in other languages so people can understand it. None of that would have happened. That's why God said wait. So work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because God wills and God does it and you don't get the credit for it. This whole thing is God's work. This whole thing is what God does. Brother James and I do not have the ability to motivate you. God motivates you. The Holy Spirit motivates you. We would, we would not last in ministry two weeks if we thought our job was to get you to do what's right. I would quit, we'd pack it up, and we'd go do something else. 
how frustrating that would be. Yeah, yeah, exactly, brother. I can't even get myself to do what's right. Fear and trembling. And so, and you know another thing that Christians do? Here's another thing Christians do. We come to Jesus on our face for salvation. We realize that we have nothing to bring. We realize that we cannot do it in our own power. We realize that we can't do it in our own strength. We, we, nothing in our hands we bring, only to the cross we cling. And we come and we throw ourselves down and we say, Jesus, by grace, I know you've got to save me because I got nothing. Then we get saved by grace through faith. And they were like, all right, I'm going to live for Jesus. Let me go over here and get the list of rules. Hold up real quick. Now I'm going to willpower it. Now I'm going to, now I'm going to, 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 to strive and to do this thing on my own. I'm just going to grit my teeth and I'm just going to white knuckle it and I'm just going to do what's right. And then we burn out and we quit and we get exhausted and we realize can't do that. So it's like we, we're willing to get saved by grace through faith and then we want to live sanctification out by work. Every day is gospel. Every day is gospel. So if you're going to serve in this church, it will be because the Spirit of God motivates you, generates a desire for you to come and give yourself up for this church. I promise you'll find joy when you do that. You'll be refreshed when you do that. I wrote this to conclude. There's four kinds of people in this room this morning or in any room in a church. Or Number one, new covenant believers who are motivated by the Holy Spirit to sacrificially serve and yield to that calling. There are people in this room, people in any church, on any given Sunday in here, that are motivated by the Holy Spirit, they yield to the Holy Spirit, and they sacrificially serve. Number two, there's new covenant believers who are motivated by the Holy Spirit to sacrificially serve, but often yield to the flesh and are not obedient to that calling. They find, you know, reasons or excuses or... um, to just maybe come and sit and do nothing. Now, I'm not talking about periods of time where you have to do that for your own health and sanity. Like, I'm not talking about that. Like, there are periods of time where you're in grieving and you're in suffering and you're in hardship where we, you just need to come and be loved on. I'm, not, I'm, I'm just talking about in general, right? You understand that, correct? I'm, I'm talking about the general life uh, of your participation in the church. Number three, professing believers who have no desire to serve the church at all and have fooled themselves into thinking that they actually have been united to Jesus. People who profess Christ have no motivation at all to serve the church and have fooled themselves into thinking that they've actually been united to Jesus. Because, see, I don't think it's possible to be united to Jesus and have no motivation to not love and serve his church. 
Because the Holy Spirit says, the, whole, the, the Bible says, we will serve in newness of spirit. And then lastly, there are people who know that they're not believers and have no desire to serve Jesus in the church. The last two groups need to repent and be saved. Come to the one who will change your heart and your life and your desires. Come and die to yourself and live for Jesus. The second group, I get it. I'm right there with you. The Holy Spirit moves in your heart and you're, you feel his, his motivation and he's generating this desire for you to serve and to, to get active and to participate and, and your flesh rises up and you just start finding all the reasons why you can't do it, right? I'm with you. I've been there, I am there, I will be there. That's why Paul says, walk in the Spirit. Yield to the Spirit. It may be something small. You may think it's insignificant. I promise you it's not. Well, you know, I'm just just a big toe. What do I really have to offer? Cut your big toe off and find out. Right? Be limping all over the place, falling over, losing your balance. We need all the parts. Nothing blesses us as a staff more when people come and say, I, I want to I join Calvary Hill Baptist Church. And they say, where, where can we start serving and being a part of, of ministry? We don't have to sit them down for 16 hours and be like, let me give you all the reasons we're going to try to motivate you and yell at you and scream at you to get you to want to do something. No, these people are Christians who love the church and they want to serve Jesus and serve the church. So they come and they say, where, where can we get involved? That's what it's all about. So this year in 2024, when we start talking about sacrificial service and you start thinking about that, begin praying, Lord, put within me a desire to serve Calvary Hill. Put within me a a way to do this. And maybe with the help of the pastors and other people in church, you can find a spot for me, Lord, where I can serve and I I can bless the people of Calvary Hill. And Lord, once you move in me, I pray, Lord, help me to overcome my flesh so that I I don't make the excuses or try to run from it, but I'll, I'll yield to it. And if he does that, if he says yes to that, it is by his grace and it is proof that you're benefiting from new covenant blessings. (laughs) Because you would not even pray that prayer if you weren't a Christian, right? You wouldn't be like, Lord, I just really want to serve you and serve the church. I don't know if I'm saved. Well, you wouldn't even have prayed that prayer if you were lost. You with me? Makes sense? I really wish I had just like written all that myself and I didn't have to like, you know, sometimes you hear a message and you're like, man, I wish I would have written that all on my own. This was one of those, man. 
I heard this message, and, and when I started thinking, I was like, that message that Piper preached and how he, this, I prayed about it. I said, Lord, do, do you want me? Yeah, this is, this is what the Lord wanted us to hear this morning. I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. And um, you can hear Piper preach it too. You can just go and listen to the audio of that if you want. But um, So thankful for this church. I'm thankful that every year we get together and we start beginning to talk about what, what are the things that we need to do this year um, as faithful covenant members of the new covenant and of, the, of this church. And um, thank, thank you for your heart, church. Thank you for your desire. It is such a blessing. And we just want everybody in on it. Like we, you know, we ain't mad at you. We just want you in on it. God's going to do what he's going to do with or without you. Again, he's not putting his faith in Neil Sandlin. He's going to get his stuff done. I just want you to be a part of it. Let me one more illustration. I use this with teenagers. I probably used it with you before. I'm going to use it one more time. People say, well, if God's going to do what God's going to do, then why in the world do I need to serve? Why do I need to be a part of it? First of all, I'm like, it's not a new covenant blessing kind of question, but leave that as it may be. If I'm up here working one day and I'm in my office, there's a knock at my door, and I, I say, yeah, come in. And that door opens up, and Luka Doncic is standing at that door. After I'm awakened from passing out, he says, hey, me and three of my buddies are going to play a pickup game over here at this park. We want a, we want a fifth player. Why don't you come play with us? I'm like, well, first of all, I'm 45 years old. I got aches and pains and bruises from playing in high school and college. Like, I'm not going to add anything to this. Like, they're, they're not calling on me because they need me. And I'm like, absolutely. And I walk outside, and there's Steph Curry, LeBron James, and Giannis. And they're all standing there, and they're like, yeah, we're, we're going to go play. And I'm like, these are some of the greatest players to ever play the game. I, I get to go be a part of that? Now, what are the chances... And we go down to this park and lose any game that we play. I promise you, we will not lose. I could stand there and do nothing. They could play four and five, and they would destroy anybody and everybody. But they asked me to play. I got to play with them. I got to be a part of that victory. I got to pass the ball. I got to watch. I got to, like, I got to be a part. They didn't need me. But the joy that I got being a part of that victory will stay with me the rest of my life. What we get to be a part of is infinitely greater than that. I'm just thinking of the thing that would bring me the most joy outside. That would be unbelievable. The fact that God, who doesn't need me at all, who with one word could accomplish anything he wanted to accomplish upon the earth, says to us, y'all want in on this? You want to you you experience the joy and the glory and the, the, the experience of changing the world? 
of changing your family and your work and your life. And you want to be a part of I don't need you. And that's how we feel, church. God doesn't need us. But he wants us to be a part of it. And he put his spirit in us to cause us to want to be a part of it. We ain't mad at you. Because in 2023, you know you didn't. We're just saying, come be a part of it. Come experience the joy. The new covenant blessings of sacrificially serving here at Calvary Hill.